finally, I discovered something that Jesus said that I had missed for years. He said, and I'll paraphrase it, but basically he said to the fellows, he said, it's my church and I will build it. And I, I just never realized that. I guess I always thought it was my church. And 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 it was up to me to build it. And it just it just became so clear. That's not, that's not what he said. He told me to go and make disciples. He said he would build the church. My job is to make disciples. Whose job is it to build the church? Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. You know, we know it's Jesus' task to do that, but often we take that responsibility on ourselves, don't we? And that can be a recipe for frustration and discouragement. Hi, I'm David Dennis with the Kansas Communities Ministry with The Navigators. Thank you so much for joining us today for this second of three podcasts of my interview with Mr. Elmo Joseph. Elmo is a retired small business owner in the IT industry and a longtime navigator with the Kansas Communities Ministry. Practically speaking, how do we obey Christ's command to make disciples in the setting of the local church? Titus was sent by Paul uh, to Crete. The Cretans are all liars, evil brute beasts, and lazy gluttons. Reminds me of me. And certainly my American citizen associates, you know, they're, that's us. That's my grandchildren. We, we're just naturally those things. So Paul sending to Crete to not only um, start churches, win people to Christ, but to raise up elders. You know, that, that's an amazing task. Well, how do you do that? Well, I saw two things as I studied the book. First of all, he taught them sound doctrine. He taught them the truth. Of course, we have the opportunity, particularly in the epistles and the gospels, to do that. We can teach them the truth. Then the other thing, he said, you flesh it out for them. You set an example. You live it with them. You let them see it in action. And so that's been my model. That was my model in the job, and that's my model in the family, and that's my model today. Uh, so that requires that, uh, that I share. Um, and how do I do that? Well, again, I look to Christ. How did he do it? I see he did two primary things. He asked questions and he told stories. So that means stories of my failures as well as my successes. And, uh, and to be a good listener. Know, know when to be quiet. And that's hard for me. Uh, being an encourager, I like to chatter away and tell my stories. But learning to uh, find out where they're at. Meet, meet them where, where their need is. And, and it's amazing that they, they get stumped over the, to me, the silliest, simplest things, but they're not silly and simple to them. Mm-hmm. And so uh, also to always meet them in the word, use the word of God. I can share my stories and my examples, but it must include the word because the power is in the word as the Holy Spirit brings it to because if they, if they know the truth, they're set free. And I used to look forward to the day when I would meet with fellows and I'd have a whole day when I didn't hurt and a whole day when nothing was broken. And I realized to be accepted fully, to not be in pain and for everything to work, that's heaven. Never going to find that on earth. And so I realized all, all these men are broken, including me, including me. And so that's, that's just the nature of the beast, so to speak. Yeah. 
Now, I, I would use, uh, there's a lot of good materials. Uh, in fact, uh, being asked recently to start a small group with some unchurched people. These are people who've been burnt, who for various reasons, uh, which I haven't been able to get into yet, I'm sure I will, have been felt rejected by church and religion. But um, I'm recommending uh, Designs for Discipleship. That's, old. That's as old as my faith. And uh, I've used uh, I've used the Alongsider. I've used Every Man a Warrior. I'm using High Quest. Uh, another thing I do is there's a whole wealth of wonderful books written by Christians on a wide variety of topics. And so many times we'll just take one of those books by one of our current or long dead teachers, and we'll go through that book together. And then one thing that always I try to do is with every man I meet, if somewhere along the way, we do Bible study. That means they need to, uh, to use, learn to use cross-referencing. They need to get some sort of Greek Hebrew dictionary so they can do word studies. And of course, then it's good to have commentaries that we can trust and actually study the word for themselves, always, always with a focus on application. Or as we say now today, takeaways <laughs> are our new phrase for application in the Christian community. And right. so, you know, again, just spending time face to face where it's quiet. I had a fellow, a, a new guy, a week ago Sunday, wanted to visit, and I invited him over. And as we went into this room, he said, well, you have a, you have a place all set up for this. I, I said, I sure do. And uh, I tried to have got pictures on the walls and verses and and there's there's Peter walking on the water and there's Christ just before crucifixion and comfortable chairs. Uh, the doors closed. And um, so I meet with uh, about 10 men right now, it usually varies from six to 12. And uh, they come through the door. Most of them meet here. They want to come here. Occasionally, I'll meet them at a restaurant or so forth, but but usually they come here and they come right to this room because I think they feel safe and they feel accepted and loved. Romans 15, 7 is a key verse for me. It says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And then 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, what is it, 11, uh, we're... 10 or 11, where I think in the New English, it says, you know how we dealt with each of you one by one as a father deals with his own children. Mm -hmm. And so those are two foundational verses that prompt me to invest one-on-one -on -one in, the, in the lives of men. Mm -hmm. I mean, one-on-one, -on -one, I, I do have a, have a couple of groups I meet with. Yeah. And uh, try, to, try to not get over 12. I really... Uh, enjoy functioning in the local church. I enjoy the large meetings. And off and on, I'm involved in, in small groups. The last two I was involved in, my goal is to prayerfully pick a fella in that group and train him to take over. And I've been able to do that in the last two groups I was in. And then so Carol and I are, are uh, and we co-labor together. I wouldn't be able to do any of this without her. She mm. She, uh, she and I uh, are one, and uh, I'm not saying we agree on everything and we smile all the time, but uh, we just, she's, uh, I don't know where I'd go with that. She 
gives me her mind and her thoughts and she sees things I don't and she her gifts serving. So she's always got the cookies and coffee and everything ready, makes people feel welcome and comfortable. And I'm free to to do what I do. I think it, it's important to, to realize when I had two kids and was trying to start a business working 60 to 80 hours a week, um, I really didn't have time to meet with 10 men. But as I look back, I never stopped meeting with two or three. There was always two or three. There's always time. And uh, now I've, I have, like my oldest grandson, uh, we've met off and on for the last six years. And I spent time with both my son and my son-in-law. I mean, I met with my son-in-law three years before he married my daughter. He wasn't, he wasn't the kind of man I wanted him to be to marry my daughter. And I told him that. And so if he wanted to marry her, he was going to have to change. Well, how do I do that? So three years later, <laughs> I'm not sure my daughter's forgiven me yet. But anyway, three years <laughs> later, they married. And it changed from me being concerned for her to be being concerned for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so uh, obviously we need uh, we need to disciple our families as well as as men outside. Yeah. But I think yeah, it's I, important yeah. to be a part of small groups is what I'm saying. That's that's. Uh, you know, we have small group and large group, but we also have one-on-one. And there's things that, that we get from each of those those sizes with that we can't get from the other. Well, you know, for the first uh, 20, uh, 25 years, it didn't work very well. Uh, I, we probably, I think I was thinking here a while back, I could remember eight different churches we moved through. I was asked to leave two of them. The pastors just thought I could should probably go on down the street if, you know, things, my vision of one-on-one discipleship and commitment to Jesus Christ didn't fit into this particular denominational rules. It threatened them because uh, I used some materials that were not published by their their particular denomination, things like that. Nobody ever hated me or screamed at me or whatever. They just... Um, they came to the point to realize that um, Amos 3 3 is correct. Can two walk together lest they be agreed? And, uh, you know, it's just time for me to move. I'm pretty stubborn, so I, I hang on maybe longer than I should. But um, finally, I discovered something that Jesus said that I had missed for years. He said, and I'll paraphrase it, but basically he said to the fellows, he said, it's my church and I will build it. And I, I just never realized that. I guess I always thought it was my church. And 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 it was up to me to build it. And it just it just became so clear. That's not, that's not what he said. He told me to go and make disciples. He said he would build the church. My job is to make disciples. And boy, there was a freedom in that. So, you know, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing and it's forceful men that lay hold of it. So I just begin to pray that, uh, Lord, wherever you're doing it at, can I be there? Just can I just grab hold and hang on? 
wherever I don't have to do anything. Just, just, just let me be where you're building your church. And within a year, uh, we found a, a church in, in Bartlesville. We were living in Coffeeville, Kansas, but uh, I had uh, really more business in Bartlesville, larger town than I did in Montgomery County in Kansas. And so we ended up uh, moving um, because uh, <clears throat> I did what I'd done the last three churches we went to. I asked to visit with the pastor and I just shared my story. I just shared my testimony and my vision. And uh, this pastor was different from all the rest. He was just delighted. He was thanking God and he'd been praying for someone who made disciples. He makes disciples and almost nobody in his church were several hundred. It was the biggest church we'd ever gone to. And, uh, and so he just basically said, will you please join us and anything you need, just let me know materials, money, anything. Just please make disciples here. Hmm. And so that was 18 years ago. And, uh, but I, I tell you, I guess the, the, the principle would be when I, I would say the first thing you need to do is establish a relationship of trust in the church. As I would have opportunity, I wanted to lead a discipling ministry for men introduce it and not necessarily lead it. I usually would get it started and turn it over somebody else, but I went to an elder. And I remember I asked Joe, I told him what I wanted to do and ask his permission. And I remember Joe looked at me and he said, well, yeah, I think that'd be great. Can I ask you something? I said, sure. He says, why are you asking me? And I said, Joe, you're an elder, aren't you? He said, well, yes. I said, well, I'm a man under authority and you're in charge. So I need your permission or God's not going to bless it. And he kind of looked at me and he said, you know, Elmo, I kind of like the sound of that. <laughs> and so I found that's very important to be interested in what they're interested in, the elder and the pastors, to let them know you're on their team. You're there to support them and you are not there to do what you're thinking. You're there to do Christ's thing and give them time. I've worked with the, we have a pastor of discipleship in our church. And quite frankly, uh, his vision of discipling and mine were not the same. And it's taken me four years to win him over, four years. And uh, I've given him some material. And I think we're going to finally start meeting man to man. But he's a, he's a small group guy. And so, you know, I encourage that. So I don't know if that makes sense or not, but I have to earn the right to minister in the church mm. and share my reason. I can't just go in there and think, say, I know it all. And you guys need to get on boat with me. And so I've had to do things, David, that I thought were kind of a waste of time. But I would I would go to some meetings or activities and because it's people for whom Christ died, yeah. not processes. Amen. And uh, so that's what I believe needs to be done. If you want to minister in your local churches, you get the trust of the leadership and they'll support you. They won't see you as competition. It took me 25 years to learn that, like I say. <laughs> Elmo highlights the great importance of working with your local church leadership when it comes to making disciples. He reminds us to develop authentic trust with the pastor and other staff, and in this way we will be looked upon as supporters and not detractors. I hope this podcast is as helpful to you as it has been to me. 
Elmo has a real heart for walking with the Lord and investing in individuals. Rare qualities, it seems, nowadays. I know you won't want to miss next week's podcast with Elmo as he shares more practical encouragement on making disciples naturally. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and are not necessarily the views of the navigators, nor of the Kansas Communities Ministry. Thank you for listening.